right, hello on Facebook. Welcome, welcome. Getting uh, Instagram going here. One second. All right, hello Instagram. It's Friday. It's June the 12th, 2020. And uh, it's Friday and it's 1 p.m. What's up, Gino and or Chris from 8V Bebop? They just posted some great episodes. We did an um, interview last week, last Wednesday, and uh, it's live now on their channels, 8V Bebop. That's Chris, Gra Chris Glassman and Gina, Gina Benalcazar. Uh, they have a great channel where they're interviewing a lot of musicians, trombonists, bass trombonists in particular, as uh, they are bass trombonists. What's up, Alton? Dropping in. What's happening? Oops, he says hello. Thanks for being around. It's our Friday. It's our, uh, hey, Chris, Alton and Chris. Now they're both saying hello, one on Instagram and one on Facebook. Alton Senkalar and Chris Glassman have a um, great group together. I forget if it's Senkalar Glassman Quintet or Glassman Senkalar Quintet, but they put out a record earlier this year. They came to UNT and did a nice concert, a nice master class, and... Um, two young uh, trombonists from Michigan State University that are making waves, doing stuff. Chris was the winner of the first ever UNT BAC uh, Jazz Trombone, uh, International Jazz Trombone Competition, which uh, we are tr planning to do again this fall. And applications are open if you go to Jazz Trombone, so J-A-Z-Z-T-R-O-M-B dot O-N-E. You can find the links to get to the new... Um, submission page the new um requirements and all that it's 30 and under jazz trombone competition we don't have the prizes announced yet but um uh it's going to be held in november this year and so i hope we can get a lot of entries it's free going to be free to enter um and the prizes like last year chris won a trombone from bac instruments the three finalists we flew them down to denton to hang out for a couple days and play some music and so we're planning to do that again. So 30 and under, please plan to submit if you can. It's not going to be due till the end of the summer or in the beginning of September. But start thinking about what you might want to submit. Sh spread the word. Um, let me see if I can even pull it up. It's not officially launched yet, but I know that I did the put the site together um, with the new information last week or two weeks ago, something like that. Um, oh, I got to get that. I got to guess. I got to get that us that up on this page but anyway this is friday our friday q a session so if you want to drop in any questions this is a blank question so i'll just do that so people know that we're doing a q a uh, feel free to drop some questions in um, but we're getting ready for our first ever virtual jazz trombone camp next week um, hey marco guitar hello um, getting ready for camp. We're going to have Elliot Mason. We're going to have Marshall Jilks. We're going to have Ryan Keverly, James Burton, and Michael Deese all hanging out with us next week. So next week, there probably there may or may not be a regularly scheduled Q&A session next Friday. What's up, Josh? Josh Cassette says, what's up? Hope you're doing well. Just doing a little Q&A session here. Hello, Marco from Brazil. Yeah. Hope everything's okay in Brazil. I've heard things are a little crazy there. 
um, spiking with coronavirus. And one of my uh, people that I play with, I know, is down there. Anat Cohen has been down there since the beginning of this uh, quarantine time. And uh, we're hoping to get back to playing sometime this fall, maybe, maybe not, not sure. But um, yeah, it's a crazy time. Um, something else, like for non-trombonists that I'm planning to do this fall is to do, I don't know if it's going to be eight weeks or 10 weeks or 12 weeks or whatever it is, but some kind of a weekly Zoom class where we can talk about um, transitioning to online, transitioning to, uh, as musicians, as jazz musicians, um, just maybe eight to 10 topics and talk about uh, in a weekly Zoom meeting about um, how to make that transition, how to organize materials, how to come up with ideas, how to connect and grow an audience, all of this different kind of stuff. Um, so we're trying to do that this fall. What's up, Grisha? Sorry, your name is really long. Alton has a question. Alton, Bre Alton Brennan Sankalar, great young trombonist. He asks, um, what is your preferred website builder? Which have you used in the past thinking of a revamp? Um, yeah, so, um, Websites can be tricky. I've done so many different things over the years. The first website I ever built was HTML, and then I built a website. If you guys, I don't know if anybody would remember when all those Flash websites were happening. Um, I, I see your question, Matt G. I'll get to you in a second. But um, I did Flash and Dreamweaver and like all this different stuff. But right now, what I use is Squarespace. And I think Squarespace, because it's very flexible. It integrates with a lot of other platforms. You can host podcasts from there. Videos are very easy to get into there. You can push out from there to Apple News. You can do a lot of things within Squarespace um, that maybe you don't know about. Um, so that's what I use. I use Squarespace and I think it's pretty flexible. And you just have to spend the time. You have to understand the um, the way the graphics work in terms of resizing them, in terms of integrating them into a larger layout. Um, we've been doing that for some clients uh, through Outside in Music. We do websites um, for people. So Squarespace is really powerful and really simple, and it's way easy to use as like an ongoing thing as an artist if you want to be putting content out and using the blog features and integrating it with your mailing list and this kind of stuff. So uh, Squarespace, but the most important part of the website is the visuals. So if you don't have good pictures and you don't have... Um, an idea of how to properly size and resize the pictures, you're gonna run into problems. So if you can spend any time researching before you start designing, uh, look into like best practices in terms of Squarespace um, dimensions and how, how, to, how to do that. And if you can learn some Photoshop, that's always a, always a bonus. So uh, Josh, I see your question, but Matt G had a question first. Um, it says mic setup. This is a Rode NT-USB microphone that I use for speaking. Uh, this is going to Facebook. It's going to this camera and uh, Facebook. And um, it's okay. It's a little, um, it's, it doesn't have a lot of gain settings. I might not use it forever. But um, I also use an Apogee mic. Looks like this. I've had this for years. Apogee was gracious enough to sponsor my nonprofit a number of years back, the Institute for Creative Music, and they sent us a couple of mics to do some recording um, master classes. And so we did that. Um, this was five, six years ago, so I've had that since then. My studio microphone of choice is the Coles 4038. I think it's 4038. Coles, black, looks like a kind of a, uh, like a triangle almost, like a circle slash triangle or oval, I don't know, 4038. 
Um, I guess that's an oval, not a triangle. But those are great microphones. Um, and I just haven't spent the time or money on um, getting a new setup other than this. UNT sent these microphones uh, to help us with our online teaching stuff um, at the beginning of this crazy time. And I've been using that for now, but i um, looking to you know, upgrade eventually to something else. All right, let's get to Josh Cassette's question. I see it here. Let me get it on the screen for those people that are on Facebook. He says, how do you deal with procrastination bug? I'm in the middle of writing a chart and only have a bit of, uh, and can't seem to push forward. Uh, I'm a big advocate um, for, if you're having a procrastination problem, I'm a big advocate for sitting down to work on it for a predetermined amount of time every day or on a schedule and just dedicating yourself, I'm going to write during this time and just do it. Whether you get one note, one bar, one phrase, one voicing, then you're making progress, you know, and little bits of progress add up. Um, if you're using, if you're doing like a big, if it's a big band chart and you're having trouble moving forward, sometimes it's really good to plan out the big picture of the chart, meaning like what's the overall roadmap? What's the big picture going to be of the whole thing? Not just like the micro, not just like what is happening in the detail, like the voicings and stuff like or what kind of solos are we going to have or what kind of ensemble are we going to have a drum solo how does it end how does it start and write it out in words you know this is something i'm stealing from john clayton the great bassist he talked about that in a master class while i was at juilliard and um i never forgot it and every time i get stuck i do that I write it down and f that really solves the problem because i'm like oh yeah this tune wants to have this vibe and it wants to go to this place i need to create something that gets us from here to here and having those like small tactical goals, small measurable pieces of the goal usually can be helpful because then you're like, all right, I can do this today. I can write this one phrase. I can do this one little bit or I can make these voicings. They want to be dark. Oh, okay, maybe I'll use mutes and this, this, this. And it leads you that I've, sometimes I find having unlimited options is way less inspiring than having very limited options and trying to be really specific with um, what you're working on on that day. So um, it, I think that's probably what you're working on, Josh. Maybe I'm just being presumptive, I suppose, about what you're working on, but um, that's what I do. If I'm ha having trouble, especially with writing, it's just I sit down, make time for it every day, just like as if you're going to do your um, practicing on your instrument, you've got to make writing a practice. Uh, it's not just going to happen out of nowhere. Yeah, it's definitely overwhelming sometimes to write a big band chart, but just a little bit at a time, man, and you'll get there eventually. You'll make it happen. I know you will. I know you will. You're a resourceful young cat. Uh, you'll make it happen. All right, so feel free to drop in questions if you're here live. Uh, let's go back to Instagram. Let's see. How we Latins can think doodle tongue. Diego Valoy official. Uh, okay, so doodle tonguing uh, is something that I don't really do. Um, so I don't have a lot of advice for you, unfortunately, Tiago. I'll just be straight up and honest. I don't mean to posture that I know everything. I don't really doodle tongue. Um, I have said this before, so I'll say it again. I kind of subscribe to like Marshall Jilks's method, which I heard him say in a masterclass once. This might not be exactly what, how he would describe it. But this is just my understanding of what he said that day. Um, was basically 
kind of like Wycliffe says, sing it before you play it. It's kind of the same thing. Like, how would you say the rhythm? Like, or whatever, and try to articulate it onto the trombone the same way. So whether that was single tongue or a doodle tongue, um, the main problem happens with the doodle, the o, the le part, or It's like there's an articulation that's happening in the back part of your tongue, so you have to really try to isolate it. And I've just never really been able to do it. So MX Johnny, he thinks it's funny too. You know, so uh, doodle tonguing. I don't really have a lot of advice for you, unfortunately. Uh, Diego, I don't think it's necessary. I think you should do whatever is easy for you. Not easy, but you should do whatever. Hey, Chris, what's happening? Um, do what feels natural and comfortable because if you're fighting it all the time, it's never going to help you to play faster or it's never going to help you to play the phrases that you're thinking of or that you want to play. You know, it's never going to really happen. So, sorry. All right. Sneakerhead Homie asks, who is your favorite musician? Who is my favorite musician? Um, I don't know when I think of like the pinnacle of musicians, I don't know. There's a lot. It's really hard. I think most musicians have the same problem, like a picking one person, you know, like, and he didn't define whether this was a dead or a live situation. This is a very slippery slope, uh, to go down with this question, sneakerhead. Um, my favorite musician, I will just say, is Duke Ellington. It also happens to be essentially Ellington Week with Jazz and Lincoln Center. So um, I like Duke Ellington because not only is he a great musician, he's a great band leader. He is iconic in the way that he presented his music. He was a great orator. He told stories. He wrote music that both reflected the times, was looking forward, was he had such longevity. He was so creative within the confines of his musical oof, you know, for lack of a better word. Um, he was innovative all the way through. He never, you know, rested on his laurels. He's always trying to feature other people in the best way that he could. Um, yeah, and he just transcended so many generations of music. And um, yeah, without Duke Ellington, I would not be playing music, jazz music, that's for sure. So, um, I guess that's my question. That's my answer to your que the question, who is my favorite musician? I would say, I would have to say that it's uh, Duke Ellington. All right, I'm gonna switch back over to Facebook here from DJ Rice. DJ is a great trombonist, currently at MSU, Michigan State. He was one of my students at UNT last year. Great trombonist. How do you pri prioritize what to work on in practice sessions outside of a school setting? I feel like, oops, it disappeared already. I feel like I get overwhelmed when I pick up the horn because there's so much to do. Uh, yeah, of course there's so much to do. You have to, you have to, I like to set short-term and long-term goals, like really and say, I'm gonna practice this and then I'm gonna practice this and just try to focus on one thing at a time. Um, there's so much to do, you'll never get to it all. I have binders and binders full of stuff that I've been meaning to get to and then I thought I was gonna get to in the last three months because I'd have more time to practice and it turns out I haven't done any of those things. And I just, I think that that's okay. You have to realize that that's just kind of how it goes. Um, so you focus on what you can focus on. I prioritize fundamentals always because those are what's gonna help you express the emotion of the music and connect with people. And if you can't fully execute your ideas on the horn, there's no way for you to play whatever intricate, tricky thing or hard tune or 
whatever. So for me, fundamentals, 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 always and forever, uh, because without them, you can't execute what you're imagining. And DJ, I know you know that, but and then from there, it's kind of short term, like, what do I need to do right now? And what are the long term things that I'm trying to work on? You know, um, what are you trying to get better at? And uh, just write it down, write down all the things and then pick one thing to focus on per month, maybe, um, or one thing per week. You know, it's sometimes we, we, when we make a pile so tall, you know, of stuff, we never get to it. But if you say I'm going to do 50 thing, 50 items really well this year, you'll be amazed at how much you can get done if you just focus on one thing each year, you know, or I'm sorry, not each year, each week of the year. So 50 weeks or 52 weeks, you know, one thing. And by the time you stack all those together, you're going to be a lot further than if you're like trying to do 10 things a week. At least this is my experience. You know, just pick one thing and it's like, all right, this week I'm going to get this together. Then next week I'm going to get this together and review the stuff from last week. You know, and you can only do a little bit at a time and try not to get discouraged. I don't know how often you've kept a practice journal. That can be helpful sometimes um, just to see and reflect and be like, yeah, I've been doing this. I've been working. You know, it's all about the process of continuing to work each and every week and get better and get better. So um, in terms of prioritizing what it is, I think that's part of the inner journey you have to have after school or even what during your master's where you're thinking about what is it that I want to be doing? What is it that I want to be playing after school? Like everyone's going to tell me what to do right now while I'm at school. And then what do I do afterwards? How do I translate this into a career? How do I, you know, play with other people? All that stuff has to come into play and that's going to determine maybe what you're working on because if you're working on learning tunes to play at smalls or you're learning to read really well so you can play on a broadway show or, or you're learning to compose really well so you can work in the film industry like any of that stuff is all totally rele relevant and a totally almost separate skill set and so you just have to decide what what you want to be doing later so that you can uh, prioritize what you're going to do now you know hope that makes sense hope that makes sense dj i know it's a journey Got, let's see instagram is telling me there's three questions and they're hidden in this little other menu here all right aha okay from judah x edgar most embarrassing moment on the bandstand oh man or and then he, he followed that up with another question or the most frustrating moment um the most embarrassing moment I don't know. I, one thing that is, is embarrassing, but I don't know if it is the, the most embarrassing moment, was um, I just the other day I was going back through my calendar and looking at like what I did in certain years and certain gigs kind of came back to mind when I saw the calendar entry. And uh, there was one time that I subbed for someone. I don't even remember who it was. Uh, in a kids band and they didn't give me any details but we had to drive to DC from New York um, to play at XM radio uh, for whatever reason I don't even know I forget the name of the band I've basically forgotten everything about the you're very welcome DJ um, and uh, I had I got there and then they when I got there to the show they were like okay here's your costume and so we showed up with the costume and what was it but like a Robin Hood costume all the horns and we had to wear tights and uh, just this Robin Hood thing and it was 
I think it was just broadcasting on the radio, but there's like this huge, this huge theater full of kids. And uh, it was really, I don't know if it was embarrassing. It was funny though. It was one of those things where I'm like, what on earth? How did I find myself in this situation? This is crazy. Um, but you know, when you're first starting out in the uh, industry, you have to take the gigs that come your way, you know? Um, and you have to just say yes and experience lots of different things and network and meet people and find out what they're about. And you just say yes and you go and you do it and you see what happens and then you go on to the next thing and <laughs> you, go, you get good stories, that's for sure. Um, let's see, yeah, and then your other question, his other question was any frustrating moments on the bandstand? I don't know, there's, there's plenty of frustrating moments on the bandstand, but um, most frustrating, usually doesn't have anything to do with music it just has to do with interpersonal miscommunication i would say uh there's some bands that i worked for uh, that will remain nameless they were not necessarily like jazz or like creative music creative gigs at all they were more like working gigs or jobbing gigs as some people call them you know like different different things but um yeah, mostly like miscommunication about how long the gig was or like, you know, there's one gig that turned out to be like eight or 10 hours long. There was a horrible gig in Montreal once driving overnight both ways. I don't know. There's lots of there's lots of things. Trials and tribulations of being a musician uh, is for real, for sure. I see a question from Peter. Are you at a point now where you are happy or satisfied with your playing? As an artist, it's easy to become overly critical and discouraged. Oh man, that is a can of worms. Um, no, the answer, short answer is no. Am I happy with my playing? No. Um, have I realized at certain points that it is satisfactory to match a certain level or to be appropriate in certain situations? I suppose. I've slowly come to accept that it's like, okay, yeah, I can do this at a certain level and play with these people, even though I always feel like an outsider in terms of my perception of myself and that I'm not good enough usually to play with the people that I'm playing with. And then I hold myself to a very, very high, um, a very, very high bar. I hold, you know, like when I started subbing on Broadway, my bar was I make zero mistakes. If I make a mistake, I'm gonna get fired, you know? And like, that might've been the myth going in, but I really believed it. And so I would just flub like one note, and I'm like, and I would think everybody was looking at me and I thought I was, I was I would freak out. So I just, I've hold, always held myself to these really high standards. Um, so I never usually can meet them, it's impossible. Um, so I've turned to try to be more open to like being happy and satisfied with like the group or like happy and satisfied with like the music. Like I'm really happy about how the new album cast of characters turned out. I wouldn't say that I'm like, oh yeah, I played great. Or I like this solo is really great. Like, I don't think I'm necessarily really ever gonna feel that way about myself, but I do feel like that last record actualized the potential of the band and writing for the musicians in the band after five records, I finally maybe like figured out what to write to really make the band come to life and feel larger than a sextet. And like, so I've, I've appreciated that more, I guess, as an artist. But for me, I'm just, 
you know, focused on the long longevity. You know, I've said for a long time that this is a game of attrition. Uh, you know, the music industry, the, specifically, you know, around black American music, jazz music. You know, people think they want to play. They realize what's happening out there and then they maybe realize that's not what they want, you know. And I've also never like accepted the narrative of the starving artist and that we have to be a starving artist and that we have to um, just complain and just uh, stand around and not take action. So for me, it's all about the process. It's all about doing something and moving on to the next thing, you know. I, I don't often listen to my records. I don't often listen back to old stuff. I don't often dwell about whether it was good or bad. I try to do things as best as I can, but save my resources to go toward to the next thing because, uh, I mean, it happened, it's done, I can't redo it. I mean, I could, but why would I? That's how I feel about it. Like, why would I go back to that again? Like, that happened. I like the music. I want to play it again, and we will, you know, at, once we get through this situation i think you know the band now has five almost 100 charts 75 charts or something so we'll definitely get back to playing music and get touring and trying to get out there and have all those things but yeah that's a complicated question peter i don't know if that was a good answer but um i think it's important to be critical i think it's important to have a really high bar for yourself um but you also can't derive your personal self-worth from that you know you can't judge yourself based on those things. You can only know, like, I just, I, I just focus on, like, I did this, I did this, I did this, I had this goal, I met that, and they, they're often very measurable. So um, uh, thank you for the response there. Thank, I appreciate that, man. And I see, I've been seeing your, your stuff on YouTube, so keep that up. I saw your interview with... Um, uh, Jazzbone PT is the handle of, of Peter, who I'm ta talking about. He started a series here. Um, he started interviewing people with. Uh, he did Jim Pugh. I saw that one recently, and I think some others. He's got a YouTube channel. He's been posting some in like the. I've I've seen it in the Jazz Trombonists on Facebook group. So if you want to find some of what Peter is up to, uh, you can find that his handle here on on Insta. If you're here now, is Jazzbone PT. All right, here's another question from Josh Cassette a great master's pianist at UNT, also happened to be at FSU when I was teaching there. So, uh, okay, as a conductor, how would you approach a situation where somebody in the band is doing something quote unquote wrong consistently, like not hitting the changes or rushing dragging? This situation would be if you've already said something multiple times. So that was a long question, so I'm gonna put it back up. It's a good question. Um, Hmm. So I don't want to speak out of my butt, but uh, how would I handle that situation? You know, at a certain point, I think a person knows when they sound bad or when they sound that when they're not living up to the level of expectation. So to me, at a certain point, I try to draw attention to a thing and mention it several times, and then I just let it go because it's not, I, I can't control that person. And, um, you know, I don't know if it's effective how the way that I, I do it or not. Um, it seems like it has been in the past when you just express your kind of like, you know, disappointment in the fact that they're still not putting in the work. 
um, by being encouraging though, at the same time, be like, man, like you're a really great musician, but like you haven't checked this out. Like you're still playing it wrong. Or like if it's, if it's like a wrong rhythm or something, you know, it's like, this isn't right. You know, maybe you want to check out this or check out that. Try to give out action. I try my best to give out like specific actionable advice because many of the jazz educators, music educators, edu educators, excuse me, um, that I've encountered along the way, you know, both great iconic musicians and just people that are dedicated to music education um, lack the ability or specificity to like find the problem and directly address it and give suggestions all at the same time. Sometimes they tend to be separate, like suggestions and then like identifying the problem or in the quote unquote, like a way to fix it. Um, so I have found, I have a goal for myself to always try to be, and I don't always live up to it. I'm sure Josh could attest <laughs> after being in my big band for two semesters. Um, that I try to be clear in my communication. It doesn't always come across. And I try to be specific and I try to give examples and I try to give recordings and I try to give, um, you know, positive reinforcement when somebody is doing great or, and when they're not and be like, man, like, uh, like this is cool, but have you thought about doing it this way or something like that? Um, I find just like being super negative all the time doesn't really help. Um, unless you really need to let a group of students or people know that you're just like really disappointed with how they're handling the situation. That's when I become negative. Um, not, uh, not usually any other time. But uh, it's a balance and it's a learned thing, Josh, and you get better at it over time. And there's certain things that you have to realize just aren't going to be right. You have to know what things just to leave them alone, be like, well, that person, you know, in the context of especially being like a guest conductor where you go show up somewhere and there's like a group of students that are maybe thinking they're the best from where they are, they've come from. And, you know, there's a certain amount of, you know, that's a good thing to a certain amount, certain extent that they want, they have strong, you know, self-validation. But at the same time, it's like, okay, this person's gonna play like this whether I tell them that they're playing well or not. And for the sake of the band, for the sake of the gig, the concert, you want to keep the vibe good and you don't want to like shut people down and just tell them, oh, you suck. That's not helpful, you know. You want to give people a positive experience with this music. There's so much negativity sometimes within our music. Like, oh, you're not playing the changes. Oh, you're not doing this. Like, yeah, if we're really digging deep and we want to talk and be real, then sure, let's talk about that. But when you're like doing, when the job, your job is to, get a group of people to play some music together. That's not your job, just to tell them that they're playing wrong notes and playing wrong rhythms, you know? Yeah, so anyway, that was a very long answer to a kind of a simple question, but I guess it just more or less opens up the door to talking about, you know, your ones, like educational philosophy or how you feel you can best connect with other people and in an educational setting and, um, I slowly have developed my approach over time, basically in direct response to people who I thought were doing a bad job when they were they were teaching me or a gr another group of people. You know, not any one person in particular, but you can learn something. That's why I say like why I don't understand why people don't go to more of things. You know, like if somebody's coming to give a master class and you're like, oh well, I don't play 
such and such instrument, so I don't care. It's like you can learn a lot as a young musician from watching somebody else talk about music and learn about how to do it and or how not to do it, like how you don't want to talk about it. Or like you might be like, wow, the thing that he's saying to this group, I, I really hear that or I really don't hear that or he's not he or she is not saying anything. They're just like beating around the bush and not actually giving direct advice. And so then that becomes something that you can use later in life to be like, okay, you know, I saw someone do this once. I knew what that felt like when I observed them. So I don't want to approach this situation in that way. I want to approach it like, you know, giving real advice and being more direct or being more specific or that's what I found. It's like this more specific you can be, the better the better off everyone is, the better advice, the better, more specific, you know. So sometimes, like I suppose I'm speaking in generalities right now, but, um, but yeah, uh, having an educational philosophy can be helpful and in in it's only, it comes from experience, you know. And so that gets me to another point I'll just jump off because there's no more questions coming in before we wrap up for today. If there are other questions, feel free to drop them in. But, you know, uh, this is a great time for young musicians to start to try to get a lot of experience teaching um, because it's a thing that you're going to have to do at some point, whether it's a master class or it's one-on-one -on -one lessons or whatever. You know, you have to get experience and, you know, the conundrum, the classic conundrum. I don't have experience. Nobody will hire me because I don't have experience. And I can't get experience because nobody will hire me. Well, what I did for years was every time I was on the road, offer to give free master classes and just go and do them. Give free master classes. Go. Boom, 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 boom. Connect with people. Practice giving a class. Practice having something to say when no one has any questions. And that's, you know, having some talking points that you can go to. Having... Um, strong reference points that you can jump off from strong things figure out what you feel passionately passionately about that you can talk about and get excited about and try to spread that passion you want to spread positive um, experiences with this music to young people because otherwise it's just like oh well, i'm in jazz band whatever i don't care about this but if you can get some people to be lifelong listeners that's what we need you know we need people to be passionate about this music from the time that they hear about it to the time that they're no longer on this earth, you know? So I feel like, you know, you reach one person at a time and you have to go out and just do those things. So if you are a young musician right now and you're not taking advantage of the time to give free lessons to people younger than you, there's always someone out there that's like one notch or two notches down, not the ladder, but like just the, the journey, the path, you know? They're, they're younger, they're not, they're not ready yet. They're not at the, your level yet. They're not a master student yet, just based on age. So you can always go to middle schoolers and then high schoolers. And then that's what I've always done. When I was in high school, I taught elementary. When I was in college, I taught high school. When I was post done with that, then you teach college students. You know, it's just a, a gradual uh, working your way up. So if you are not hitting up your high school, your high school band director, I just did one for my uh, my old high school, a master class, uh, a couple weeks ago. And I loved doing that and being able to connect with those people. So don't, uh, I don't disregard the fact that you need experience and you just need to go out there and do these things. What's up? I see a bunch of comments here as I was speaking off my little high horse from Tony. Thanks for being here, Tony. 
uh gonza falcon six he's from argentina hello I, I can't wait to get back to argentina i really miss argentina there's one place that i've been that i can't wait to get back to and i wanted to come back this year but what's not happening is argentina so i can't wait to get back there i hope next year i hope next year for trombonanza um, so anyway uh, please take this time if you're a young musician to get your teaching together and that's what i was talking about when i mentioned i'm going to put together a class for the fall maddie gunn asks do you have any advice for strengthening embouchure uh yes play a lot play all day uh take lots of breaks but play all day so 40 minutes on 20 minutes off for 10 hours you'll be strong and that's all it is you have to put in the time it's just like running you know you're not going to run a marathon out of nowhere or maybe you can but uh uh hey chuck good to hear from you too man thanks for being around appreciate you all good um so other embouchure things you can do caruso exercises play ballads uh we talked about this at some point but um doing long tones where you keep the mouthpiece on your face and breathe through your nose that builds up strength uh, i'm not a big uh like using weights or anything on the corners i think it's important to be super 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 relaxed so stay as relaxed as possible uh yeah gina trombonanza for sure love trombonanza i can't wait to get back there uh let's see one new question here on insta somebody says what is the live video this is a q a for trombonus and jazz people that's what we're talking about okay here's something uh, different from Race Hogland. I'm a saxophonist teaching high school jazz band. Any tips on how to improve the trombone section? Um, I suppose that's slightly general, so it's a little tricky, but I find generally the problem, not problem, but the situation with high school jazz trombonists is that they don't have any reference points for jazz trombone. Um, so playing them some great Ellington, there's a lot of great Ellington trombone feature things, just like even they're even backgrounds like like Harlem Airshaft. Or there's a great thing from Such Sweet Thunder called the Telecasters that features the trombones. It really features um, Harry Carney, but they um they play the trombones are featured as like the background instrument and there's so many of those things in ellington and so i got to play them a lot of music get them excited about it and then um a lot of times they don't have a good sound so you got to focus on just having a good sound in general which goes to good trombone fundamentals and then it's the articulation so the articulation tends to be unclear one because their mouth is too closed they got their teeth together a lot of times like eh. so you got to get them to open the inside of their mouth so it's thinking ah instead of er, so ah and then think about where the tongue is hitting in the mouth which should be right where the gums meet the teeth the top of your top teeth because a lot of times it goes here like between and so it comes out like that and there's no definition to the attack so therefore there's no time you got to have a definition to the attack in order to have time articulation creates the time uh for wind players you know so um or at least for trombonists you have who have to tongue every single note so that and then the sense of swing can sometimes be weird 
So getting them to like play along with J.J. Johnson and get the sense of the flow of eighth notes, um, all that stuff. But it all comes to listening and trying to match um, really great um, trombonists, trombone sections, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, hope that helps you uh, race. But uh, yeah, sound and articulation. Oh, here's a question from Bad Kid RJ. Have you ever messed up? Of course I've messed up. I've messed up a million times. I messed up yesterday at the beginning uh, during our trading session that we do on Thursdays. I wasn't paying attention and I just like uh, started playing. I didn't even notice the rhythm section from the play along. I played an introduction and I was playing uh, the A section. I mess up all the time. It's just part of being human. Don't worry about it. Move on. It's in the past. Here's a question from Gina Benalcazar, great trombonist in New York, bass trombonist, multi-instrumentalist. Um, she says, how do you approach learning tunes? Uh, and then she had a follow-up, which is an important follow-up to that. She said, in a way you don't forget. Um, so certain tunes I've forgotten them like seven to 10 times. Like I'll give you an example. Uh, Stablemates used to be one. Um, Moments notice is one was one for a long time. Um, I approach tunes now by learning them on the piano and singing the melody at the same time, um, because I think it's important to learn tunes like all together, the harmony and the melody together. Like if you learn something on piano, you're going to learn the harmony and melody all together. But usually we, as horn players, some not usually, but a lot of times we end up like separating out the different elements and. Oh, this drives me nuts too, is that people pull out a lead sheet and then they try to memorize the lead sheet. Then they try to learn the changes by memorizing a list of a list of root notes. And then they try to like play. And it's like, well, that doesn't really help you to me. You know, for me, I find it useful to, if I learn to play it and sing the melody from a recording and use my ears, then it sticks way better, you know, and for way longer. And then for a long time, I would make little cheat sheets. Like I would never use the real book. I usually say a lot of times in interviews, like the day I became a jazz musician was the day I threw away all, all like 10 of my real books, which was during, uh, during my time at Juilliard. When I was moving to New York, I was like, I don't need these. I'm getting rid of these. And I threw them away. And it was the best thing I ever did for learning tunes, developing my ear, all of that stuff. So you're just trying to learn music all as one thing, you know, like it's not separate. It's not harmony and melody, it's a song. And all of it comes together. So uh, if I play, if I can play the changes on the piano and sing the melody, then I know that I know it. Because that way your voice will move it to different keys, right? And then you can kind of play um, in different keys to go along with it. But uh, it's more about getting the melody and harmony and changes in my ear and memorizing the, the big picture of the chord motion, not necessarily all the little details. And then developing your ear enough that you can hear the decorations like chromatic two fives. Uh, you can hear when we go two five to four, two five to relative minor, two five to major three, two five to whatever, you know, different. There's only so many places that tunes go. And then when it's a different place, then you know that that is something to remember. Like the first chord of I love you is a half diminished. You just have to remember it's not two, you know, or or same thing with like it was half diminished on it's you or no one. Sorry, sometimes I have to sing the song to have the title come to my head. But um, just like there's certain things about each tune, like, oh, I got to remember these three things about it. 
you know, like some, I was doing a virtual studio masterclass right before this, and I was talking about how I sometimes, if I'm not thinking clearly, I'll start um, playing. I was working on moments notice and I'll start playing stable mates because the first two chords are the same and it's half step two fives. So sometimes I go E, A, E flat, A flat, D, and I'm like, wait, I'm playing the wrong song. So E, A, F, B flat, you know, there's different decorations. So um, long answer to Gina's short question, but um, yeah, piano and singing is how I've tried to learn tunes. Throw away your real book, learn them by ear, because uh, memorizing something from visual is not gonna connect here. Uh, at least it doesn't for me, and it never has very well. Hope that helps. Hello from Brazil, Caetano, Brazil. Thanks for being here. Uh, a lot of people are jumping in and out today, which is awesome. Thank you all for hanging out. Um, all right. Another question. His question from Caetano, Brazil. He says, tell us about your experience playing Anat in the Anat Cohen uh, Tentet. Anat is great. I love playing the Tentet. My experience... I'm not exactly sure what you want to know about, but I'll just say that it's one of the most fun groups that I've ever played with and have had the pleasure to be a part of from the from basically the beginning. Um, it's a group where all of the skills that I think I excel at are necessary. Um, in terms of, I just mean like a combination of improvisation, reading, executing difficult things at a high level, but then being very sensitive to the musicians around and playing together as an ensemble and mixing um, different sounds together and playing um, like with mutes and playing with different instruments and like, how do I blend in with the cello here? And now how do I blend with the clarinet? Now how do I blend with the vibes? Now how do I blend with the guitar? Now how do I play with the trumpet player and be really, really strong with Nadia Nordhaus, the trumpet player? And how do I play with the Barry, Owen Broder? And you know, all of these different things are like sometimes uh, Vitor Gonzalez, he plays accordion and then he'll switch and play piano. So it's like, how does the trombone fit? You know, like that's just something I've, been lucky to play in a lot of like medium on size ensembles like nonet 10 piece you know this kind of thing and um, i think that that is the best of both worlds you know the 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 big band large ensemble world and the small ensemble needing to have a voice and a an approach and being flexible and uh, so anyway i think all those things come together with her group and it's always about the music with her which is amazing and um, always about making the music together which is great because sometimes, you know, we just want to execute exactly what's on the page and it becomes a little nitpicky sometimes, you know, you can't get off the page, but it's all for her all off the page, you know. It's like, yeah, play the music that's there, but yeah, those are, that's my experience. And we're supposed to play Detroit Jazz Festival in September. I don't know if that's going to happen. We're supposed to play in um, the Azores uh, in Portugal uh, in October. Don't know if that's going to happen. So we'll see. We shall see. <clears throat> uh, okay, Rabbit from Twitter is asking, who are you? Uh, my name is Nick Finzer. I'm a jazz trombonist, and uh, we play jazz music. Play jazz music. Thanks for tuning in. We're doing a QA. and I do a QA and a show every Friday. Uh, and uh, some other questions here. Here's one from another one from... Race Hogland, have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you're way in over your head? How did it go? Uh, yeah, so 
2015, Elliot Mason asked me to sub for him in the Lincoln Center band, and I went on the road with them for a little while. And when I, you know, the first concert that we played, and I had Winton right behind, you know, playing behind my head, basically. And I was like, oh man. Sorry, Hoaglund. Hoaglund, sorry. Uh, that was a place where I thought uh, I was in over my head. You know, what the heck am I doing here? And, uh, but it was also a dream come true. You know, that was one of my goals my whole life was to play with them. So it was a, it was a, it was great. It was great. Um, yeah. How did it go? It went, it went well. I thought everyone was positive and it was a lot of fun. Those guys don't sub out that often, you know, and then they often are, trying to give their students experience and stuff like that. And um, so I haven't had too much chance since to play, but I'm just really glad that I got to play that time. You know, there was a lot of fun and uh, excited to reconnect with Elliot next week. We're doing a little Jazz Ramon camp and he's one of the guest artists for that. So that's going to be fun. But yeah, so that was definitely one situation. Uh, there's been a lot of situations like that, but that was definitely one. Uh, let's see another question. What is the live video? I'm not sure what that question means. Okay, <clears throat> from Zane Fresh. Sorry, man, I'm really bad with names. Um, Zane, what are some tips for writing and arranging a big band chart? Um, well, there, there's general ones and specific ones, but I'll give you a few. Um, one, I talked about this a little bit already, is try to write it out uh, in words, what's gonna happen with it. Uh, and I mean like this, I mean, okay, this is the vibe is what's the emotional vibe of the tune? Uh, is it like another arrangement? Is it totally unique? Is it through composed? Um, what is it going to be? You know, the more planning you can do in advance, the easier it's going to be to stick to your plan as you're writing. It's not that the plan can can't change. Of course, it can change. It can change it as much as you want. Excuse me, but um, write that out. What's the list of events that are going to happen? Um, how does it start? Who has the melody? What is the, you know, before we even realize like what is the melody, it's like, who's gonna play it? Then what happens? Is there an ensemble? Who's gonna play a solo? Is there gonna be a solo? What happens after the solos? Is there multiple solos? Is there ensembles? Is there a drum solo? What happens at the end? Do we recapitulate, take a DC, a DS or a DC back to the top or you're gonna write it out differently at the end, you know? Um, is it gonna be like more like a bassy chart where it's kind of a little simpler, more of a head chart and then a lot of blowing, or is it going to be like more like a Gil Evans, Bob Brookmeyer, Maria Schneider kind of very through composed, intricate composition? Um, that's been super helpful for, helpful for me is to plan out as much as I can in advance, because like we were talking about with Josh when he was asking about how to stay motivated to finish the arrangement, you it's really hard to sometimes stay motivated to finish. But if you have that plan, you don't have to think about it. You just execute the next rung on the plan right you just go to the next thing and you do it and you go to the next thing and you do it um, other things is to have some resources so you can kind of figure out where to go in terms of inspiration for voicings and things like that there's inside the score ray wright is a great one um, there's henry mancini books that have like the range of different instruments what is it called sounds and scores sounds and scores um, score study, getting different scores and seeing how different people do stuff. And then basically just experimenting. 
Oop, Instagram just crashed on me, so that's great. Get that started again. But uh, sorry, hopefully people will come back on, but all the questions are probably gone, yeah. Anyway, sorry, Zane. Instagram just decided to be done with this live stream. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, I'm not sure what just happened. But um, I was saying that uh, you just have to, there's Zane. Sorry, man, I don't know what happened. It just all just disappeared, crashed. Um, where was I? So get some of those books, get some scores to check out, and then um, uh, just start experimenting. That's what I was saying. Uh, and bring in the charts, see how they go. Um, try to write as clearly as possible. Uh, something that people sometimes forget about is how it looks, like uh, the, the copy work. It just kind of um, needs to be really clear, uh, really, really clear. So uh, don't make sure you always can see the middle of the measure. Don't like make crazy looking rhythms, you know, make sure when you look at it, it looks like something you could sight read, you know. Um, and yeah, those are those are a few tips. Sorry again about Instagram crashing there in the middle. This will be up on YouTube if you want to go back and kind of look at all of this later. All right, here's a question from Gabe14258. He says, how do you approach improv and what are you trying to achieve while doing so? I'm trying to make music, number one. Uh, I'm trying to play with the other people, number two. Uh, what else? And then I approach improvisation as I want to be able to execute anything on my trombone that occurs to my brain, occurs to the ear, my ear. So I practice improvisation with the approach of wanting to have played anything I could think of before it comes to a live scenario. Uh, so I practice all different intervals, modes, scales, transcriptions, learn from the masters, like how to play like them. As best as I as best as I can, you know, whether it's a trombonist, a trumpet player, a saxophone, um, piano, whatever. And then it's about making music in real time, about playing with the other people, uh, and creating emotion. So I try to play with dynamics. I try to play with some kind of feeling. I try to vary a set a set to take you know across the emotional, you know, feeling. Sorry if you're rejoining on Instagram. It crashed on me, so I don't know what happened. But thanks for rejoining. I see some of the same people are joining back in. So thank you for jumping back in after the uh, wonderful Instagram crash. Um, here's another question from Gina. Do you have a process of moding yourself to write, or is it just a matter of sitting down and doing it? Yep, just sitting down and doing it. Uh, a schedule in a time, just like your practice time. And uh, not having, I've learned this from a lot, reading a lot of books about creative process and business and stuff is like people who have a regular practice of writing, I, I mean words in this case, like writing books and stuff, like they sit down and they write. Uh, that's how you do it. You, you get better at it by doing it that way and then you get things done by doing it that way and not judging about it. It's like you're putting in this amount of time. That's the work. I'm gonna do this every day. I'm gonna 30 minutes, I'm gonna one hour, whatever it is, and say that I, and check. And then you can check off the box that you did it for the day and feel good about it. Whether or not you got one measure, one minute of music, or one phrase, whatever it is. So um, yeah, that's what I think. That's what you have to do. Oh, we got some haters now on Instagram. Nice. <clears throat> so um, hopefully that helps, but uh, 
all is well. Don't worry about that person. It's all good. So uh, yeah, if there's any other questions, drop them in now or else I'm going to sign off for the day. Uh, wow, it's been really great. We did no questions coming in, which usually there's been a lot during the week, but there's been a great uh, amount of questions today. I really love that. That's amazing. Thank you. Appreciate everybody tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed, found something useful in this hour. And uh, if you want more, um, this is episode 25 or 26 of the year. So um, go back to YouTube if you want to see some other stuff. Um, exciting stuff coming up in July. I'm going to do, I decided to call it trombone Christ jazz trombone Christmas in July, uh, 25 videos with 25 free PDFs to go along with them. So stay tuned for that. Um, that'll be starting July 1st. And uh, okay, here's another question from Aurora. Aurora Renair, Renari. Sorry, again, totally terrible with names here. When you are tired one night or not inspired while you playing, do you have a suitcase of patterns? Do I have a suitcase of patterns? Um, when I'm playing live, if you're talking about like live playing, I think they're talking about like on a gig. Uh, no, I don't, I don't have like a pattern book. You have to be engaged and playing with the other people, in my opinion. Uh, I don't think you can really engage with the music if you're not engaged with the other people. So like, yeah, there's phrases and scales and, um, stuff, but I'm not, it's not really what I'm focus on whether I'm tired or not like the music energizes you you know yeah uh, you can't you can't rely on that like just I, I've practiced a lot of stuff a lot of patterns a lot of licks a lot of transcriptions etc cetera, etc cetera. but um, I don't rely on those I try to play music in the moment and um, all that stuff is in my muscle memory to execute the ideas that are happening here that's how I feel about it it's the ideas in my brain not the ideas that I've practiced already you know um, so I don't rely, I've never been a big patterns person. I've always been a big pr proponent of understanding all the possibilities in a key, in a tonal center, in a mode, all the intervals, all the seventh chords, all the fourth stacks, all the fifth stacks, so I can be free. That's my goal, what, you know, to be free. Um, hope that helps. Uh, from race again. What are your thoughts playing along with playalongs and backing tracks? I think there's a, a lot to be said for them. I much prefer Jamie Abersold or other things with real musicians to I Real B. I hate the I Real B. It drives me insane. But there's a there is a place for it when you're trying to change keys and all this stuff. It's a very useful tool. Um, so I use them, but only as one part of a practice routine. Um, Playalongs are useful for playing, but you, you actually have to shed too. You actually have to break stuff down. You have to take different phrases uh, into different parts of uh, the tune. You have to like copy and paste trans bits of transcriptions and improvise in and out of them. You have to play scale flows and bass lines, and there's all kinds of things to practice. And then you go and play with the playalong. And so the playalong is a good, you know reference point but i make my students play with the metronome play by themselves uh, play with play-alongs play with people all of the above um, do i have a rest routine after playing not really from maxi rod trombone uh, i play until i'm done playing and then i rest i don't i'm not a huge warm down person unless it's been a super super hard gig then i'll do some long tones in the lower register for sure 
Do I listen to Roy Hargrove? For sure. I've been uh, trying to learn the drums. So I've been listening to, there's a great record of Roy's called Parker's Mood with Stephen Scott and um, Christian McBride. And so I, there's no drums on it. So I've been playing drums, drums along to that record. So yes, I love Roy Hargrove. He's amazing. Such a good soul spirit, man. All right, I see a couple more questions here. What do you try to get while transcribing? Uh, I'm trying to get vocabulary. Well, here, I'm going to click on this. A lot of questions today. This has been really cool. Um, what do you get while transcribing? Vocabulary, feel, flow, and um, like phrasing. Like how? what is the vibrato? What are the decorations to the notes? What are... What's everything other than the notes? You want to go super, 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 super deep if you can. Like get as much out of it. Squeeze everything you can out of that transcription because uh, it's about how you play the notes just as much as it is about what the notes are. You know, I try to sing it first, then play along with it, and then um, write it down at the end. So that's what I try to get out of a transcription is vocabulary at the beginning, but then it's how the vocabulary is played. And that's even more important than what the vocabulary is. How is it played? How does it hook up with the rhythm section? How does it fit? Why does it flow? What, what are the melodies? You know, all of that stuff. So I highly recommend that um, you go deep, 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 deep. Um, man, there's good questions today. Uh, here from Race. Thanks, Race. Have you ever been vibed on the bandstand? <laughs> yes, of course. How do you deal with it? Ignore it or get better. Know that you sucked and you deserved it and then uh, own up to it and move on. You know, there's a Ollie, I see your question. Uh, have you you have to just kind of learn learn to deal with it. It's part of it. It's kind of an unfortunate part of it sometimes, but sometimes you just need to be vibed as a young musician to know that there's there's of ways to go before you're um, really knowing anything, you know? Uh, I don't necessarily advocate for vibing people. I, I think it's kind of a negative experience and it's not super helpful and it doesn't make people wanna come back. But sometimes people are rude, you know? So uh, sometimes there's a place for vibing and sometimes there's a place just for knowing that um, you have stuff to work on. So um, that's how I deal with it. I either take it, lick my wounds, practice and come back or ignore them, depending on how much I respect them in the first place. You know, if it's a legendary jazz musician, somebody that I really look up to, then, yeah, I'm going to take their advice, <laughs> deal with the problem. If it's like a friend of mine and they're vibing me for some reason, then I'm just going to ignore them or not a friend, but a colleague, you know, like, oh, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, so that's that's how I approach that. Um, where's Ollie's question? There it is. What is a good rhythm changes you would recommend transcribing? There's like a bajillion great rhythm changes. I recommend, um, there's a coffee pot, JJ Johnson. Um, I'm assuming you play trombone, Ollie. I guess maybe wrongly. Uh, also, also, coffee pot is not a rhythm changes, but, um, you know. There's not that many rhythm changes solos that I like, to be honest with you. Uh, there's a lot of great, I mean, there's lots of great rhythm changes solos. Um, but, you know, the one that really got me started in understanding how to play rhythm changes was Lester Young. 
Lester Young playing Lester Leaps In. Transcribe his solo and you'll start to unlock what's important about like what to emphasize in playing rhythm changes. Michael D says a bunch of great rhythm changes. Everybody has rhythm changes. Um, it's been on my list to compile a better list of rhythm changes solos to um, recommend for people actually. So thank you for reminding me. I appreciate that. <clears throat> but that's where I would go. Lester leaps in. All right. Here's another question. How do you manage your time between practicing your instrument, composing, and business by being uh, organized and keeping a schedule? I have a planner, a physical planner, and I use Google Calendar, and I, and I uh, schedule it in. And I go in phases. I'm not usually, I'm usually in like more of a, practicing phase for performance reasons or a composing phase like meaning like for this month I'm more focused on composing or this month I'm more focused on practicing I because you can't do everything right and again I've said this a couple times today on the stream like go deep with something don't go wide don't try to go as wide as possible try to go as deep as possible with one thing um, so that's what I try to do so if I'm in a composing mode like for a record or something I try to go as super deep as I can um, yeah but uh, be super organized. That's what you have to do. You gotta, you gotta have a way to keep organized. And for me, that's with a planner. Um, so I keep two calendars, digital and physical, and um, I schedule everything in to the calendar. Uh, conversations, you know, phone calls, interviews, teaching, live streams, all the stuff. I, I try to put it all in there, um, or else I won't get to everything. And I just again about the practice of writing, about the practice of practicing trombone. Like you gotta. Stay organized. You got to schedule it out. You got to plan it out. Focus on one thing at a time. It's all the same. It's all the same. It's all about uh, committing to a process and knowing that it's going to take a long time to get to where you're trying to get to. You know, I thought I could. Everyone, I when I moved to New York, said it was going to take seven or eight years to get to the level of gigs that we all kind of aspire to get to. And I was like, no, I'm going to do it in three. I'm going to do it in five. And no, it, of course, it didn't happen. You know, it took seven years. It took seven years before I was getting the type of calls that. Uh, I aspired to be getting. So, you know, you have to, again, I said this at the beginning of the stream, and I'll say it again. Sometimes this music business is a game of attrition. You have to wait for people to move on. You get out of the way. They decide to do something else. You know, it's uh, sticking on your path, being clear, being as best you can, committed to your thing, having a reason why people want to call you. You know, I uh, <laughs> will. Damn, only seven years. I know. I hear you. It still doesn't feel like I'm getting. I'm doing. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a, of, of like a quote make it anything. But uh, there's definitely better calls now than seven years ago or eight years ago. Um, Zane, thanks for that. And Race, thanks. Um, anyway, I lost. I lost track after talking talking about that. But that was funny. <laughs> Will, that's, Will was funny. Anyway, um, so be as organized as you can, man. That's all you can do. Uh, okay, race. Last one for me. What do you think is lacking in the jazz education world right now? Thanks for answering all my questions. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, okay, what's lacking is an attention to the real originators of the music, I think, sometimes. Uh, meaning... The legend, the, the the Duke Ellingtons, the Louis Armstrongs, the reality that it is Black American music, and focusing on that, and focusing on you know learning that music first. Like Duke Ellington was for me. Like I said, 
that was it. That's where I started. And I think sometimes we get into like with people enter into into jazz from like this fusion standpoint or they enter it into from some later place and then they never get back to the roots and it's all becomes like about competition and playing at festivals and like all this stuff and like I don't know how it got there but it's not like I think about my high school jazz band experience and it had nothing to do with Duke Ellington for the most part we played maybe like Whirly Bird and maybe one other bassy chart but never really talked about it or focus on improvisation um, so to me being involved in jazz education is about spreading the message of the music the social context of the music um, the the real just the real life of the music the the struggles of those people that wrote the music like how did it come to be this way like that these people were geniuses, that it's about improvisation. If you're playing jazz music and you're not involving improvisation, you're missing the point, in my view. I think that there's swing music that is almost like a separate genre where it's not about that. It's about that swing feeling and maybe it's for dancing. But like the aesthetic for me of art, art music or jazz music, whatever, is like it's about improvisation. It's about the highest realization of human potential in the in the realm of like instrumental creativity i guess something like that you know and it's like it's about getting into a flow state and allowing all of the work you've done as a musician to come out in a flow of ideas that connects with the band and the audience in real time i think it's one of the most amazing things that people can do you know it's it's astounding you know like it's like amazing when it's done on a high level. And that's what it's about, like for me, is ultimately making music in the moment and improvising. And sometimes, a lot of times, it, people get into this execution game of this is how you play it. These are the charts. Play this funk tune, play this swing. It's like, no, it's about swing. It's about the history of the music. Of course, like there's great fusion and there's great Latin jazz and there's great all that stuff. But like for in jazz education, sometimes I feel like that foundation doesn't get emphasized for whatever reason. And I think some of it is just, you know, lack of cultural knowledge of it and not being involved and like just being a, for example, a band director who had no experience with jazz and then gets hires into a job where there is a jazz band. Like that's a real situation. And, um, you know, it's not their fault. So I don't blame them. But Sometimes like the ease of getting easier charts that have nothing to do with swing, like swing is hard. Like it's hard to describe that to a young person or anyone and to really like help them to develop what that is and why it's important. You know, it's American music. You know, we say we don't just say, say it's black music. It's black American music. You know, it's part of our history and like important to understand all those parts of it. And that's what I think. That was a kind of a, long answer to your question but um listen more if you can listen more share more music with the students and impart that you know this thing it's got to hit you and you got to hear it a lot of times it's not in the air anymore you know that music is not in the air like hip-hop music does not have melodies generally generally i'm not saying i'm not trying to overgeneralize, but it's like it's not the same it's not the same type of melody and harmony happening on the radio as what's happening with jazz so you have to have exposure to it you have to hear it a lot and uh 
start to understand it. The more you understand it, the more you can connect to it. And um, so the listening component is big. You know, I wish there's a huge difference. Let me just say this. There's a huge difference in the musicians who I've met who told me that their high school band director did one thing differently. And that one thing um, is playing music while the students walked into the room. The musicians who heard so many different things every day when they walked into their jazz band rehearsal are exponentially ahead of the ones who didn't hear anything when they walked into the room and didn't get exposed to a wide swath of music, didn't listen, didn't talk about listening. Um, sorry, and I'm getting impassioned here, but um, just that one thing of listening to music together, talking about music together is like, it's night and day, the musicians who I know who have had that experience of just listening to music with other people more than the, the students who hardly ever listen to music and just get instructed to during jazz band class. Um, so anyway, to get, I'll get off my uh, education high horse here. I saw Peter said something. What did he say? Doing research on early jazz trombone and styles to address the issue in small... I try to share online when I'm done. Okay, I'll look forward. Send that to me when it's done, Peter. I look forward to checking that out too. Excellent. All right, let's see. Any other questions? Yeah, there's one more question here, and we'll sign off for the day. Thanks for everyone for sticking with us. It's been the longest one yet, I think, uh, which is great. I'm happy to uh, connect with everybody here. Um, Eric says, how do you keep yourself from getting bored of constantly working on chops, technical stuff? I guess I'm just obsessed and I just don't get bored of it. I don't know. Uh, I want to be able to express myself on a high level that's clear. And if I don't do the fundamentals and I don't focus on chops and all that, I'm not going to be able to do it. It's just like black and white for me. If I don't do fundamentals, I won't execute it well. And if I don't execute it well, I'll be pissed at myself. So back it up. I want to do the fundamentals so that I can execute what's in my brain and then I'll be less upset with myself in the future. You know, it's one of those things that like, um, you know, I don't know. So that's what you gotta do. You have to do technical stuff. You have to play classical music. You have to focus on fundamentals. Um, I can't really tell you any great musicians who didn't put in the time, you know? Some are people are just like freaks of nature, don't need to practice, super musical, which is amazing, but the rest of us, uh, including myself, we have to focus on the basics and fundamentals. Race says, thanks so much. You're right about playing recordings at the beginning. My jazz director did, and it really helped me out. Yeah, just a one very, very simple thing that it seems totally innocuous, but it's a huge difference maker. It's a huge difference maker to expose the students to all this different music. Uh, yep, so I'll just leave that there. Um, yeah, so Eric, the more you do it, the less bored you'll get because you'll realize how many la layers there are. It's not just doing it. It's doing it well and doing it well consistently and then doing it with a great tone and then doing it right 10 times in a row and then being able to do it in your muscle memory, meaning like you don't think about it, but you can execute this difficult thing without thinking about it. That takes a lot of hours, you know, and that's what we're trying to do. When I'm practicing, my focus is I'm trying to get my, my floor, you think of like a ceiling and a floor in terms of your ability. And it's like, all right, the ceiling, yeah, we want to keep pushing the ceiling. But really what we want to do is raise the floor because the ceiling will keep going very, 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 very slow, especially once you get to, a, you know, a certain level of 
you can do a lot of stuff, right? So you, you it's not there's not that much more to go in terms of you just keep pushing yourself, right? But if you get your worst day closer to your best day, then when you go to have a when you wake up and your chops feel like crap and you just got off the plane and you're tired and blah 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 and you have no ideas like that other person was asking about you can get to it you know you can you can still play because you've worked on that trust me i cannot overemphasize how important it was um for for um me to put in the hours that i did in undergrad uh because i rely on them now every day every gig all those fundamentals i will not I would not trade that time for anything, uh, even though maybe it made me socially less than um, a social butterfly. I would rather practice at that time, you know? So hope that helps, Eric. Race, thanks so much. This is gold. I, I hope you enjoyed it, man. Um, appreciate it. Yeah, you're very welcome and uh, happy to do it. So, all right, my voice is tired. I have another meeting in an hour, so I'm gonna take a break. But uh, thanks for being here, everybody. I appreciate you all. Um, we'll be back uh, maybe at a different time next week because we're running uh, Jastramon Boot Camp. So, or maybe the live stream will just be part of Boot Camp. I'm not sure yet. But uh, you're welcome, Eric. And thanks for everyone for tuning in. We'll be back. Uh, and if you want more, head over to YouTube. Uh, post all these um, Q&As on YouTube every week. So. We've done one every single, well, we skipped one week, but mostly every week since uh, December of, last, of 2019. So trying to keep things moving. All right. Have a great weekend, and uh, we'll see you back here next week.